name is Neil Middleton and every month we create informative content for you as we talk to important, influential and inspirational people from the world of bats as well as other areas of interest. To find out more about Batability, go to batability.co.uk. Now for the interview, let's do it. And welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the latest Talking Bat. Dr. Miriam Nonshiel. I hope I have pronounced that almost correct, Miriam. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm not doing too bad at all. I've been so looking forward uh, to meeting you like this for, goodness, probably quite a number of years, actually. Um, we don't really know each other that well, but we have in the past ex exchanged the occasional text, WhatsApp, tweet, whatever, email. Um, and together we were involved in doing a session for Wildlife Acoustics about a month mm -hmm. ago now, which I'm sure you'll remember. And yeah, it was just really fascinating to listen to your talk during that session. How did you feel it went? Did you enjoy doing that? Yeah, I really liked the webinar. I've never done one in my life before, but I, I really liked it. And I've learned so much also from your talk and from Brian's talk. And the audience was great and everything was really, really, really very nice. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was really interesting. And uh, folks on Batability Club, if you haven't seen the recording of my bit, that is elsewhere on Club, so go looking for that. But... I didn't put up uh, Miriam's bit. That wouldn't have been appropriate to do that. <laughs> so where are you talking to us at the moment from? Uh, I'm in Berlin in my in my apartment, uh, sitting on my work bed, basically. I really like to work in like a couch or bed-like situation, so I'm very rarely on my desk. So um, I'm, okay. I'm in a very cosy bed right now. Okay, okay. Yeah. Right, well, don't go falling asleep. Okay. I won't. <laughs> As I said, it's my work bed. It's your work bed. I'm going to ask, do you have a non-work bed? I, I do. Okay, that's good. <laughs> uh, I, I was saying to you before uh, we started that uh, I never know where these chats go and the last 30 seconds just demonstrate that yeah <laughs> i couldn't have anticipated we we're going to talk about that about my beds yes <laughs> well that's fine <laughs> okay okay so did you wake up this morning looking forward to this or did you wake up thinking Oh no, why did I agree I can't ever do this? No, <laughs> no, I'm I was really looking forward to it. Yeah. Good, good stuff. Well, I'll I'll ask you afterwards uh, how you felt. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, folks, just a little bit about uh, Miriam uh, before we get started proper. She is the head of behavioural ecology and bioacoustics lab at the Museum of Natural History in Berlin, a research associate with Sonian Tropical Research Institute in Panama and affiliated with the Free University Berlin. Uh, Miriam is a behavioral ecologist with scientific expertise in acoustic communication, cognition, learning, and social behavior of mammals, in particular bats. Bats is what she's done most of her stuff in, although I think now and again, 
you get involved in some other things as well. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Mm. And research projects, they tend to be interdisciplinary, incorporating acoustics, genetics, neurotology, and biolinguistics. Wow, what a lot there. And um, I mentioned that you have not just uh, been involved in bat research. There are a few other things that you've been involved with as well. Do you want to talk briefly about that, please? Sure. Um, so uh, sometimes students bring really interesting projects to me. And then, you know, if I have a bright student with a great idea on his or her own, then I, of course, encourage them to pursue that. So I had a PhD student who worked on giant otters in uh, the Amazon basin. That was amazing because um, obviously I knew nothing about otters and so I couldn't be very helpful in that part. Um, and their communication is so different from what bats do, of course, as well. And so much of it just happens underwater or with half a fish in your mouth. So it was really, um, the recordings were really messy and noisy and unclean, but actually we, we developed some, some um, yeah, um, methods to, to deal with that noisiness that now help us in bad recordings as well. And I've, I've had students working with cats and with naked mole rats. So, so, so mammals, I've never had anyone working with birds, I have to say, okay. um, but a number of different mammals. But mainly, but for yourself, mainly bats. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Always. Yeah. They are the best. <laughs> yeah. So how, no, as, as a child, were you always interested in natural history? Um, did it, or was it something that you turned to? Uh, Not at all. <laughs> what, what was the background? What got you started? What was um, the start of the journey? Coincidence, really. Um, so I, I mean, I like being outdoors, I guess. I've always liked horses, so I did that a lot as a child. Um, but then, you know, when I finished high school, I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to study either philosophy or, like, German literature. So, and, and you know, I, I thought I could have, like, some, you know, natural history, I, I don't know, hobby on the side or something. But I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then my father actually gave me this great advice. Um, he said, well, why don't you travel? If you really don't want to, don't know what you want to study, you should just see the world and then you'll find out. So I went to uh, Central America because I was also really interested in like, you know, the Mayan culture and all these temples and ruins and stuff. So I was traveling there and I ended up in a small biological station in, in Costa Rica. And it was like a tiny station run by Canadians. And um, they give like these little tours to tourists. Okay. And um, they, they said, well, why don't you stay for like a week or two and give tours to the Germans? And I was like, I don't know anything about biology really especially in the tropics and they were like oh, that's easy we'll teach you so I, I basically learned the tour like this is a poison dart frog and look the howler monkeys and things like that okay. and it was nice and then a couple of bat researchers showed up um it was okay. actually a, a Canadian um he's a Canadian professor now Martin Vonhoff with his wife and um, they were both PhD students at the time and they were studying bats and I just came along one day because I'd never seen a bat before and um it was really the cutest thing I've ever seen. So um, I, I was just totally smitten and um, I wanted to um, just learn more about them. And that's how I decided to study bats and um, study biology. So um, I turned from like wanting to do philosophy to just doing biology, like full circle within, you know, like one month of travel, basically. <laughs> wow. Wow. So 
seeing the bat you saw was the cutest thing you'd ever yeah. seen. Um, so do you remember what species that was? Yeah, I, I, it's a, a Honduran white bat, Ictophila oh, okay. alba. And I mean, they yeah. are, they're amazing, right? And it was yeah. a female with a tiny pup. And the yeah. pup had just started getting like these little white hairs on its back. So it looked like a little flying pig with like these tiny white hairs and just utterly adorable. So um, I was just completely taken. If you're enjoying listening to our podcasts, perhaps you would also be interested in joining Batability Club. To find out more about Club, which includes hundreds of hours of accessible training resources available to you in your own time and at your pace, go to batability.co.uk. Thank you. I imagine you then end up back home in Germany and you then have some decisions to make about the rest of your life or at least what you're going to do next. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about, about that. Yeah. Well, I said it was a funny coincidence how I found bats, I guess, as an interest, but then the story became even weirder because there I was in Costa Rica being like, I really like bats. I wonder what I do now. So turns out that this Canadian um, guy, Martin, whom I, you know, I, I owe him so much, I guess, in terms of career choices, he came back a few months later and he was looking for a field assistant. And he said like, well, if you want, you could just tag along and we catch bats. And I was like, you're paying me to do that this is amazing (laughs) so so I traveled with him through Costa Rica and we ended up in La Selva which is a really large biological station in in Costa Rica and there was a German bat researcher here Marco Chapka and um, it it took me a few days to muster the courage to talk with him which is actually funny because Marco is one of the sweetest persons in the whole wild world right but I I was really nervous and timid and I finally approached him I was like you know I I want to study bats and how do you think I could do that in in Germany and he he asked where my hometown was and I told him he said well I know someone there and he gave me a phone number so I I called this woman and then um, yeah, when I was back, I started doing some like, um, like consultant work, like I was helping her and we like checked roosts and, you know, you know, installed bat boxes and stuff like that. And then I was pretty sure that I wanted to study biology. And then I just kept on that track and, uh, bats have never left me since. Wow. Absolutely amazing. Amazing stuff. And it just shows how it was all quite a random yeah. start yeah yeah had, super random yeah had had you not visited that biological center mm-hmm. uh, initially or even if you had mm-hmm. but th- that canadian couple hadn't turned up whilst you were mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. it could have been very very different mm-hmm. uh, amazing amazing also stuff. another funny story is so that that um canadian couple they worked with tyroptera tyroptera tricolor so the the, the sucker footed bat the one that okay. lives in rolled up leaves yes. so you you catch them during the day and how you do it is you 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 walk through the forest and you you look for these rolled up leaves and then you put like a plastic bag like from like toasted bread or something on top of the leaf and you shake the leaf and the bats fly out and because they have these suckers on their feet, they cling to the inside of the plastic. So you have this balloon full of bats. And um, that's the only way how we ever capture them. So I didn't know that you capture a bat, 
bats with mist nets. So when I saw it for the first time, I was like, this is barbaric. I mean, how could anyone ever do that? They they get entangled and they fight. And uh, yeah. it was just, it, it, it took me a very long time to realize that normal bat research is, is actually, you know, capturing animals with mist nets and working in the dark, really, and not just like, you know, trapsing through the forest in broad daylight and shaking bats into little balloons. I, I, I you know. I, I, I do a awful lot of training in the UK where mm -hmm. we teach people how to catch bats and stuff. And I'm just thinking of what my reaction would be if somebody turned up on one of my training events with a whole load of plastic bags. <laughs> I just go, oh, what's happening? <laughs> yeah. But that's that's actually the only way how you can keep these sucker-footed bats and keep them happy because they hate bags because they, they have really tiny thumbs and claws. They don't, so they just lie there on their backs being unhappy. So they want a smooth surface, like a glass cylinder or like a, a yeah. plastic bag. Like you can have them in Ziplocs, which is, you know, um, right. obviously not for a long time, but for like, you know, short-term storage or weighing them or something. So yeah, yeah mist nets took, took me forever to, to make my peace with mist nets. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, what you've just told me there about catching those bats, that's something I did not know. Uh, mm -hmm. That is fascinating stuff. Um, I, I have actually been to Costa Rica, but uh, oh, cool. Where to? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where um, to? Uh, we, did a, we did a tour uh, mm -hmm. around. Uh, we started on the east and then we we worked away inland and then further north. We ended up, uh, maybe one place you might know, which is on the tourist map, uh, Monteverde. Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I spent an afternoon there. Um, but it was mainly it was mainly birding uh, I was doing, uh -huh. um, but it was actually our honeymoon, um, so oh, uh, it was nice. a wild it was a wildlife trip. Uh -huh. um, but we didn't see we didn't see the uh, the leaf roosting bats. The uh -huh. you know we didn't see any of those species, uh -huh. unfortunately. Uh -huh. uh, but it was we saw what did we see uh, lesser. Is it bulldog or bullfrog bat, lesser? I don't know what the German would be. Um, the ones that fly over the water, but not. The, oh not the big, yeah, 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 yeah. The the bulldog, uh, the 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 fish eating bats, not yeah, the fish eating bats. Yeah, we yeah. saw mm -hmm. the lesser mm -hmm. fish eating bat. Yeah, we didn't see the yeah. greater one. Yeah, uh, saw quite a few of them actually in one location. That was They're amazing. That was pretty spectacular. Yeah. And you'll be so disappointed in me, uh, Marian. Uh, we we. Uh, I took recordings of mm -hmm. the echolocation. I mm -hmm. uh, probably had about 90 minutes worth of recordings and I was mm -hmm. very, very excited about that. And uh, the SD card got corrupted. Going, oh, oh no, oh, that's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> but anyway, it was yeah. a holiday, so yeah. I- Well, but that means you should come back, right? You should yes. visit us and then, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I would love to go back. I seriously, found Costa Rica an amazing country. Yeah, it's um, wonderful. Uh, culturally and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and scenery and the wildlife, obviously the birds and the mammals and everything, just, just amazing, an amazing place. Yeah. Okay, I wanted to talk a little bit. Uh, I've headed this up academic overview, but what we're going to do here isn't going to come anywhere close to <laughs> doing justice to all of your academic inputs. But 
the first thing I could find, which I think was your very first mm-hmm. formal paper, was in 2006, uh, sack-winged bat. And I think, did this research happen in Costa Rica? Was it, it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So this was at the end of your, uh, this was an MSc, was it? Or I can't remember, was this an output from an MSc at university? What is, what is MSc? A master's of science? Oh, no, it was, no, no, it was actually, it was unrelated to my PhD, but it was really okay. the first, um, I guess, the, the first actual output of my PhD fieldwork was that I, I discovered that these pups are doing these weird things while they are growing up that we termed babbling back then. Yeah, yeah. And that was in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously here we are, what, 16 years later, if my maths is correct. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and I have had the benefit of looking at your lab website and seeing all of the publications that you've been involved with or, or produced. It must have been quite unimaginable back in 2006 that you would be sitting where you are now in 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, where was your head at in 2006? Where did you see the future going? Did you see this taking up so much time going forward? I mean, what's your thoughts? Um, yeah. I mean, if I, once I really started committing my interest to bats, I really wanted to know more about them. And, and of course, one way to do that is to, to stay in science and, you know, be, be a researcher. Um, but it's such an insecure career path. So that's certainly something I would have wanted in 2006, but not something I, you know, I could have counted on. Or, I mean, so much in, in academic careers is based on you know, serendipity, I guess, and and just chance. So yeah, I, I didn't have a plan back then. I was committed to to trying my hardest, but of course, um, a lot of people do, and that's not a guarantee for for like yeah. getting a permanent position, really. So I was just lucky in the end. Yeah. So do you, do you feel okay? So you've called that lucky, yeah. But mm-hmm. um, but. Quite often, people who are deemed lucky, that luck is generated because of a lot of hard work, a lot of resilience, um, a lot of commitment, a lot of sacrifices. Um, is that kind of what your story were, was? In, you, in a way, yes, yeah. of course. I mean, I, I think everyone who succeeds in, in academia really ha- has to work hard and be committed and dedicated. But sometimes just, you know, picking, also picking the right study species, um, you know. I mean, obviously, back in 2006, I just wanted to do my, so I did my master thesis already on, on Cicopteryx, on, on that uh, greater sack-wing bat. And I basically stayed with that bat ever since. And a lot of people don't do that simply because they are maybe their first choice of bat species doesn't, you know, lead to like a new avenue of questions that, you know, they want to answer. And then that I was really lucky because I, I had the chance to start it working in a, in, in a bat species that was already well understood. So we had a lot of the, you know, pieces of the puzzle in place. 
but their um, acoustic communication had only been sort of like scratched on the surface. And the, and the person who was studying it before, Oliver Baer, who supervised me during my master thesis, he uh, left academia. So he, you know, he, I, I was not, I didn't have to like compete with anyone for like access to studying these, you know, the acoustics of these bats. So in that, that was a very lucky coincidence. And then as, as soon as I realized that this bat is a gold mine of like new questions, I just stayed with it. Yeah, yeah, no, um, amazing stuff. And as you say, a lot of research put into this species, which therefore means so much has been discovered. Um, is your feeling that this, is your feeling that the species is unusual or is your feeling that if we put so much research into pretty much any other bat species, there would be a similar gold mine of information to be discovered? I mean, what's um, your thoughts there? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if it's true for all the bat species, but I would certainly say that's, that's true for very many bat species. If you put a lot of effort in studying them, especially studying them in the wild where, you know, there is selection pressure and they are in situations that really matter to them. Um, I think putting a lot of effort into one particular bat species long-term is, is always creating great and unexpected answers. And bats have really never underwhelmed me the closer I, I looked at any species really. So I think in terms of acoustic communication, that bat is certainly, you know, a, you know, a, a lucky hit, I guess. But there are so many other aspects about a bat's biology that can be super interesting. In terms of foraging, for instance, that species is really boring, right? Okay. <laughs> so I guess if you if you just want to find anything that is interesting in a bat, then I think you can probably pick any species and just you know, devote your time and energy and effort to that, to understanding that particular species, and you'll find something interesting. If you're looking for something specific, right, then you you may want to have some selection criteria first. Yeah. But I think studying them in detail in the wild is key. And most of most of the studies done in my lab are on free living animals. We try to manipulate them as, as little as we can. And we sometimes have them for tests in, in a confined environment, but only temporarily. So we don't keep them permanently. Yeah. So what you're trying to do is uh, an authentic natural behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. and... To be really old fashioned in a way. So. Yeah. You know, minus all the technical equipment that we need, we are really just standing in the forest with like the imaginary pen and pencil, like, taking notes. Yeah. 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 Uh, amazing, amazing stuff. And sort of full circle, but with an awful lot of uh, publications and papers and research mm -hmm. in between. Um, this publication here attracted an awful lot of attention mm -hmm. in, I think, 2021, I think, is that right? Mm -hmm. Just right. last year. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and I mean, the, 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 the titles are very similar. It's the mm -hmm. same bat species. Um, you would almost look at this uh, quite quickly and without reading the papers and say, well, what, what has she been doing for 14 years? <laughs> <laughs> That's a but, very good point. <laughs> But uh, but but what's what's different in two thousand and twenty one yeah. so compared I, I, to yeah 
yeah, I think I have to go back to 2006 to explain that. So, yeah. so I was coming back from like my, my very first preliminary field season for my, yeah. for my PhD. And before that, for my master's, I had worked on adult bats, on singing in, in males. And then I, I had worked with juveniles for the first time. And I came back and I told my PhD advisor, Otto von Helversen, you know, they, they did this great stuff. And they were like, I think it, it's babbling and look, and it's great. And it's these long sequences. I was like super excited and very, you know, like very bubbly about it. And he was like, yeah, maybe you don't want to do a PhD just on that. And I was like, but it's really exciting. And so we, we agreed that it would be, to, to see if it's really exciting, it, it would make sense to find out if these bats are capable of vocal production learning, um, because then this babbling behavior, as we you know, termed it, would be really interesting. And if not, then you know, it would still be interesting, but it wouldn't be as interesting. So I devoted my own PhD to, to studying vocal learning in these bats and just ignored the babbling most of the time. Okay. And then since it's really very time consuming to study that because you have to follow individuals throughout their whole three months ontogeny. So you have to spend a significant amount of time in the field and then you come back with a ton of data that you need to analyze. I could never just do it on the side on my own. So I basically waited until I had um, a PhD student, Ahana Fernandez, who's the, the first author of this science paper, she's she's yeah. now a postdoc in my lab, and um, she spent her PhD, now that I had established that this bat species is capable of vocal learning, she spent her PhD studying the vocal ontogeny and the babbling, and um, that's why in the end we were able to just basically tell the same story with like this time actual data. I mean, the 2006 paper is made, it's mainly gut feeling. It's like, look, isn't that cool? They're doing yeah. that, but yeah. it, it had like no data in it yeah. basically. And uh, in that in that science paper, um, I think Ahana, she, she labeled over 55,000 syllable types. So there's just, there's just big data in it. And, um, and we made this formal comparison with babbling in human infants yeah. and, and that, um, finally, I think uh, babbling got the attention it deserved in, in these bats because it's really an, it's an amazing behavior and I've never seen it in any other bat species so far. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of you, of course, know that a lot of baby bats make sounds yeah. and yeah. often because they want to get nursed or because they want to be picked up or something like that. But very often it's either the same vocalization type repeated over and over, or it's a small number of like variations around a common theme. Yes. But what these bats are doing is just so alien, I guess. Okay. The, the longest babbling sequence we ever recorded, so the longest string of vocalizations coming out of a bat's mouth was yeah. 43 minutes. What? 43 minutes. That's bonkers. That's yeah, that's like a bat with Tourette syndrome, right? You're like, oh my yeah. God, is it going to explode anytime soon? And this was not like a baby bat begging its mother to, to be nursed. This was just a bat, you know, sitting there playing with its voice. And yeah, that's just, just amazing. Just and learning, they, you know, learning yeah. how to form, I mean, <laughs> to humanize it, learning how to form <laughs> words, learning what words mean something, what's yeah, just and noises the, that nobody else understands. Yeah, and, you know. and getting the transitions right and probably also just building up, you know, physical strength to do all that, right? But yeah. they yeah. 
And they spend so much time during the day when there is babbling season. <laughs> um, okay. They spend around, they sleep a lot, of course, because they're babies. But when they're awake, 30% of their awake time is spent babbling. So it's it's like not like uh, it happens once a day for two minutes behavior or something. Yeah. It's like yeah. you can find new colonies because they do that in the day roost during the day. You can find new colonies by walking through the forest and listening for babbling okay. bats because okay. it's part of it is audible to us and it's it's really a conspicuous behavior. Okay. So I'm, yeah. I, I, I was so glad that Ahana took over that and that it finally got the attention it deserved. That was really cool. And of course that then, well, it doesn't necessarily lead to, but everything's kind of connected to mm -hmm. everything else when it comes to social acoustics. Um, you've got, uh, well, obviously you've got this aspect of it. You've got the differences between males and females. You've got dialects, mm -hmm. uh, you know, different uh, colonies of bats of the same species that maybe evolve acoustically in a slightly different way to their neighbours because mm -hmm. it's like a local dialect perhaps mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this has been shown a lot in bird species and uh, other mammal species um there was a presentation that uh, we saw at the social calls of bats conference we did the mm -hmm. one in edinburgh the one that you wanted to come to mm -hmm. that you couldn't mm -hmm. make it and the guy they are talking about uh, social communication in, I think it was humpback whales. Mm -hmm. And they were tracking how the dialects of these whales changed as, uh, and they could actually track how the sounds then moved mm -hmm. around the world. And then eventually something that was getting learned on one side of the world would eventually come round again uh, as these populations intermixed and stuff. Um, and that, okay, I've kind of digressed there slightly, but but this must happen in bats as well, surely. I mean, have you any, yeah. any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure this happens. We just haven't really studied it very well. So, yeah. I, I mean, a lot of bat species sing and, and bat song itself hasn't really studied that much, hasn't been studied that much. And song yeah. dialects have been studied even less. Um, so, for instance, we're, we're currently doing um, a study where we look at um, the songs of the party-colored bat, Vespertilio okay. Morinos, yes. and we've managed to get recordings from 19 different countries, okay. and we see all kinds of crazy patterns there. I have no idea what they mean at present, and since this species is partially migratory, it's, it, it's also a complicated picture, but yeah. I think there is just so much to learn um, when, yeah. when looking at regional differences. And you know how they are caused and maintained, and what they mean for the animals. So, yeah, yeah, that's no, it's amazing stuff. And as you know, I've got uh, I've got more than a passing interest in the subject. Yeah, oh, albeit I I'm would never class myself as a researcher or anything like that. I'm more just a I'm more just somebody that communicates <laughs> tries but, but, to communicate but, with people but you're edu you're educating researchers all the time your books are mandatory reading for my students and uh, well, they they're really really i mean also the the new one that you have is that a bat i mean the yeah. <laughs> book is amazing i really really love it it's well, great 
all these things that pretend to be bats that are not. Yeah. <laughs> you should do, you know, you should you should come to the tropics and then you should do like a second edition. You know, the volume in in the tropics would be like, you know, all the things that pretend to be bats that are not. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know if I've got enough time. <laughs> I would love to do that. I would love to do that. But, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say because... Uh, I said at the beginning of this, and you really did make my day, actually. I'm going to say this to you, okay, on camera. Um, when the Is That a Bat book came out, you sent me a message on Twitter mm -hmm. uh, saying how much you love that book or you yeah. like that book mm -hmm. or you felt it was useful. I can't mm -hmm. remember the exact words yeah. you used. And I remember just looking at my Twitter feed, and I'm just like, oh. I, it just so made my day that 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 you'd that you'd communicated that uh, to me. Uh, because... the, the, the the book made my week really, oh. and and more than that, I've been using it a lot yeah. in like teaching, and it's just so so clear and um, and with also with so much respect for the like the, the variation of sounds that is out there. I find it sometimes hard when you when you talk with students about how how they should identify species. They want an easy key, right? And then they want to just, you know, you know, say this is this and this is that. And it's like, well, but it's the things that you're unsure. Those are the interesting ones, right? Those are the ones yeah. where you learn something that that teach you something that you didn't know before. And I yeah. I feel that with all these random sounds that you've recorded that, you know, I, I had no idea that other animals could could sound yeah. so much like that. So. I, I, and when I, when, when I signed the contract to do that book, mm -hmm. uh, I did not anticipate that we were going to find what we found. You know, the, oh, really? Yeah, 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 really. I mean, there was there were there were a few things that we knew about, like the the brown rat call, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. the you know, and stuff yeah. like that, but. But when we started with the captive colonies of the mice species mm -hmm. and the vole species and stuff, and I remember I was, I was in a in a hotel just outside Gatwick Airport, and I'd collected five bat loggers, each recording different colonies of small mammals, and I downloaded the data onto my laptop. And the first one was harvest mouse. It just so happened it was harvest mouse. Mm -hmm. And I started looking at all of these, you know, bat social calls. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, it's the end of October. My bat detector was inside a building, which was inside, <laughs> which was inside in a, a glass mm -hmm. cage. And I'm going, that's a Benton social call. Mm -hmm. That that looks mm -hmm. and I just, I mean, I just shook my head and I thought, oh no, oh no. <laughs> I, I, it's not what I was expecting to see mm -hmm. uh, uh, but anyway that's so funny because I thought when you had like many of the recordings already in place when you embarked on that project oh. I mean I think you mentioned some of it in your book but nevertheless I didn't know that the majority was like well, coming I, later I mean I don't I mean I, I doubt that the majority of it was new to science okay but but, but certainly my perspective as a bat worker and mm -hmm. all the other bat workers I was talking to when I was mm -hmm. showing them this stuff, we were mm -hmm. all like, oh, we didn't know. We didn't mm -hmm. know about this. We didn't mm -hmm. know about this. Because I think what happens is you end up in your own little silo, oh, mm -hmm. don't you? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And someone that studies harvest mice for argument's sake, 
-hmm. he probably wouldn't consider for a minute yeah. talking to a bat person yeah and why should they right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. anyway very we've kind of digressed again but uh, yeah but, 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 <laughs> <laughs> thank you there's this article here that i came across called bats in translation and it was put together in 2017 i think from memory and folks, if you're watching this as the recorded version on Club, I'm going to put a link to this article underneath the video. Uh, but it was a really, well, I felt it was a very concise and digestible summary of what you'd been looking at and what you were going to look at uh, at that time. Um, did you feel something? I think you felt something similar towards it. I, I think I found a tweet when you mentioned it at the time and you were quite excited about, about it. Um, yeah, I mean, do you want to just summarise very briefly um, what, what that's about? Yeah. Well, that, that was during a time where my where my lab was sort of settling more down, I guess, and where we could agree on a few like major topics that we would pursue in the next few years. And um, it was just really nice to have it all like on, on paper with you know, nice pictures and like in in um in a really accessible way, I guess. Yeah. So um of course vocal learning and dialects and babbling was a big part. But I'd also started um working um a few years after I started working with the, the sackwing bats, I started working on uh, flower visiting bats as well. Okay. Um, they they used to be called Glosophaga sorizina, but now I realized that it, it's actually a species complex and the, the story is way more complicated than we thought. So I'm not quite sure which species I've been studying all these years, but it's you know, it's the one in Costa Rica. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean that's really that's it's I don't know I wouldn't say it's identity threatening but it's really bizarre that you know you read in a publication that you were not involved in it's like oh apparently that's not the species I thought I was studying it's like hmm, okay. Okay. good <laughs> not a subspecies anymore apparently it's a full species now <laughs> okay. Okay. so um so we worked um with social learning in flower bats as well because they okay. you know they, they feed on nectar and pollen and they make all these these hundreds and hundreds of visits to individual flowers each night. And of course, that's great for learning experiments because they make all these choices and you can ask them. So what do you base your choice on, right? And then you can reward them with tiny drops of nectar and they just make these choices over and over. So it, they are really good for, for learning experiments, I guess. And yeah. in, in fruit eating bats or insect eating bats, they take a large chunk of food and then they digest, right? So. It's yeah. like not good for many choices, but you know the flower bats—they're they're really happy players, I guess. Okay, okay, no fascinating stuff. And how in Costa Rica is where you mainly go? Is that right? Although mm -hmm. uh, I mm -hmm. know you've done work in Southern Africa and Panama. Do you mm -hmm. do you do stuff in Panama as well, or not yes, so much? Yes, um, I. Well, I guess Costa Rica and Panama are equally important for our work on on Sacopteryx, um, okay. on the, the greater sacwing bat, but most of our flower bat work is done in Costa Rica, simply because the colonies there are easier to access, I guess. And in South Africa, we've been working in Kruger Park for a few seasons, working on um, a family that that also belongs to the the like a, a member of the embolonurid family so the okay. same family as the the greater sacwing bats and we just wanted to see what 
what an old world member of that family would be doing. And are you able to say, are you finding similarities, for example, um, in acoustic behavior? Or is that not something you can say? Yes and yeah. no. So so there are more differences than between the other members in the new world. So when you compare Sacopteryx bilineata to another embolinurid in the new world, that's yeah. a smaller difference than to that um, South African species. But it was a really, really interesting species as well. And of course, catching bats for the first time on, an, on a new continent. I mean, that's it's amazing, right? Because everything is new and, and the taxonomy in Southern Africa is not really resolved. So it was it was really difficult to key out some of the species. And we we did so much groundwork that in the neotropics, you don't have to do anymore just because, you know, people have already done it, right? But they were, taking, were doing release calls and we're taking pictures of like morphological characteristics and just trying to get a grasp on on the local bat fauna. It was also very funny because when Kruger Park is a, is a touristy destination, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. in Costa Rica and in Panama, when we capture bats and tourists see us, they're normally very excited. They're like, oh my God, that's that's cool. And can we see yeah. and stuff in South Africa? <laughs> because there's so many cool mammals there, yeah, like I guess. People elephant, were like- Elephants, yeah, lions. And, people yeah. were like, <laughs> Oh my goodness, you have to work with bats. Did, did you make your professor really angry? I was like, well, actually, I'm my own professor. And no, I think it's great. And they were like, but why would you do that? Like voluntarily? I was like, they are great. And, and the tourists, they were just like, yeah, but we're going to watch lions now. <laughs> Which I mean, I, we don't, obviously, we don't need the tourists' approval, but it was such a, a distinct change just in, in terms of what you know, what people find cool, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I suppose it's just a different type of, uh, mm -hmm. a different type of tourist, perhaps, going yes. to Costa Rica yes. compared to yeah. Uh, yeah. Kruger, for argument's sake. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, not any better or any worse, if anybody's watching this, the word I, the word I chose was different. Okay. <laughs> 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 excellent stuff excellent stuff uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, we've mentioned it a few times uh, so this is an amazing website um, uh, so folks if you've got any interest whatsoever on uh, which I'm assuming you would have because you wouldn't be watching this if you didn't <laughs> uh, you have to visit uh, this uh, website. Now watch the spelling, okay? It's a deliberate change in spelling there mm -hmm. because of the lack of the umlauts, you know, over the O, but that is the correct spelling at the top. Uh, but I've been I've been dipping in and out of this website for the last few days uh, just to get a little bit more background. And yeah, the number of projects uh, that are talked about here, publications, uh, Marianne's uh, CV, uh, you know, if you have a look at that and her publications, it's extensive and really, really interesting, all the different subjects uh, that have been uh, associated uh, with her, I think. Uh, it's maybe not quite up to date now, but I think it was almost 70 uh, papers published there, I think, uh, if that was totally correctly. Yeah, I, I I have wanted to have a new website for quite a while, so I've been neglecting my old one, but I think I should at least update the publications now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah. a lot more than a lot more than, uh, than what, what's doing there. Mm -hmm. So 
definitely worth um, definitely worth checking that out for sure. And there's also examples of uh, some of the different backhauls and some video footage and and a list and a biotope of some of the people that are associated with the lab and previous research and stuff like this. But um, must have been pretty cool building a website about yourself. Yeah, I mean, how did you, you know, was that exciting or was that kind uh, of No, that's, that's kind of the part I like least about my okay. job, this constant sort of like self-advertisement. Um, yeah, yeah it, it certainly doesn't hurt when you want a permanent job. You should, you know, invest in self-advertisement, but it's not something that comes naturally to me. So I have to like... That's like a chore I have to do. That's not something where I'm like, oh, this is exciting. I want to do this and that. So yeah. yeah. I like giving talks. I, I like that a lot, but there you engage with an audience, right? Yes. But yes. like a website, that's yeah. I don't know. That this feels a lot like people Instagramming their healthy meals. Um yeah. in a scientific way, which is like, yeah. 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 <laughs> No, I, but, I, it, I, but it is a nice resource and of course it's a good orientation for students also so it, it it saves me some time i guess also because people can find a lot of what they need um already online yeah yeah well i i thought it was a really well put together site with so much valuable information um but i totally understand what you're what you're seeing there uh, from the point of view of um doing stuff all about yourself but yeah. yeah but so that's that's also something so this is basically a website about me right yeah <laughs> so yeah. the the new website will be about my lab and this is something i'm actually looking forward to because they are you know every phd student postdoc will have its own site that they can create as they want and i, I really like promoting others this whole self-promotion thing is just for me it's getting old really fast so um i'm i'm more enthusiastic about the new website that will just be more more resources also okay. yeah okay. so for instance i'm um you've mentioned earlier that i'm working at the museum of natural history yes and then we have an animal sound archive um, that is a collection, an acoustic collection that belongs to the museum. And um, okay. for instance, we own the complete, um, or we own, I, don't, I shouldn't say own, I think we, we harbor, we guard, we curate the, the collection of um, Skiba you know, the, the Skiba uh, book, so all his yeah. original recordings. Yeah. And I've already selected, you know, some so that people can download them and just do stuff with them and that that will all come on the new website so that it's actually not uh, like, look at how great a researcher I am, please give me a job. So this is over now, I have a job. So yes. um, I can I can do other things now with that new website and I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's absolutely amazing. That's, that's, that's an amazing way to take it because, and again, um, I'm sure this is true um, and I'm sure you'll emphasize this, everything that you've done you've only really been able to achieve in conjunction with other people yeah yes uh, yeah. yes absolutely so either you working with them or them working mm -hmm. with you uh, collaboratively or, or whatever and 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 i suppose doing what you plan to do is going to be more of a reflection of that is yes that... yes exactly exactly yeah yeah, yeah. 
fascinating stuff, but uh, definitely check this website out, folks, as much as uh, Marianne maybe doesn't want you to. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, I'm saying you've, you've, you've yeah. got to check this out. It's, it's fascinating, fascinating stuff and really, really interesting. Listen, there was a couple of pictures you sent in advance of today's session uh, that I wanted to ask you about. And I'm assuming this is in Costa Rica. Or, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. in Costa Rica. And this looks like the, the cage setup uh, that you've yes. got here. And this is a this is a close-up of either a different picture or the same picture. Mm -hmm. Let's let's talk about this because again, in in the British Isles, when I'm out catching bats, this isn't the way that I would normally do it. But but this <laughs> yeah. is so this I, is what's I, required. Yeah. Yeah, I, I so I upgraded from like having them in little plastic balloons, <laughs> okay, <laughs> right? But right. I'm still not at the traditional bat bags. Yeah. And the, the reason why is because so this is the Copteryx uh, bilineata again, and they are very atypical bat in that they really don't like body contact. So they don't cluster together when they roost, they really mm -hmm. space themselves apart several centimeters. Okay. And they get really, really stressed when they are confined. So when they are in bat bags, the, you know, they, you, you have them in the softest of all bags and you get them out again and they have bloody wrists and they are really stressed and they have their mouth full of like, you know, the, the, the inside of the bag and they're really not happy. Okay. So okay. we've had them in cages ever since we realized what was the problem. And the best cages in the whole wild world for this bat is actually a foldable... I don't even know what the word is really. It's like a foldable thingy from IKEA for storing socks. That's ah, okay. what this so, is. Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> so it's great for field work because it's light and you can sort of like squeeze it together. Yeah. And these these little holes that you see, these orange rimmed holes, they are normally open. Yeah. And you know, we saw a little piece of cloth on, on the outside, and then we can just close it with like a clipper. And then yeah. each bat has its own compartment. And of course, mothers and pups can be in the same compartment. Okay. And then they just hang there and they are really for a wild animal that is temporarily captive they're really relaxed there and um so this is like this this is like the most important piece of equipment if you want to work with circle bricks you have to have one of these cages and um we've had field trips where we like had to turn around because you know not we forgot mist nets or poles or you know bat bands or anything but these cages because they're really like a, a crucial endeavor and everyone new in the lab who who works with psychopteryx has to make at least one of these cages <laughs> okay. Okay. yeah so that's um that's our, our little special cage fascinating stuff and is it mainly mist nets you use or do you use heart traps at all or are mm. they not really practical in that part of the I'm, I'm the proud owner of a heart trap now i've never assembled it because the okay. you know the, the the description that comes with it is quite daunting so i think i want to do that with someone who actually knows how one put up looks like so i haven't wow. done that and normally we don't have that many bats that we capture at the same time because we we what we normally do is we we find the roosts first okay. and then we select roosts that we can work um with or work at really well okay. because we we want to see the bats and we want to have clean recordings and we need to habituate the bats to our presence okay. so not every roost works of course, and then we selectively try to capture the bats as minimally invasive as we can in the vicinity of their roost, because then we mark them with little color bands on their forearms. And then, of course, we want them to return to that roost. So okay. we normally don't capture, if we do this targeted 
catching near a roost, we normally don't capture more than 10, 15, 20 bats. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we really don't need harp traps that much. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to have one. So now I have one that I've never used, which yeah. I, I need to do something about that. But yeah. do you know yeah. which model of harp trap you've bought? Um or? yes, though the one from Australia, the, the Ostbat. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Excellent harp trap. I've I've used their harp traps for over 20 years. Well, uh, maybe me and my harp trip can come visit you. You can, def <laughs> you can definitely you can definitely do that anytime. Okay. Uh, I've trained uh, I've actually in, in Batability, we've actually got four harp traps. So mm -hmm. we've got we've got two Ostbats and we've got uh, one that was designed by NHBS, and we've got another one that was designed by I think it's Bat Conservation International mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. America. Um, so we've got a lot of experience using using these traps, uh, but the, the Ostbat harp traps, they are they are the original, uh, well, they're not the original, but they were the originally created, mm -hmm. most evolved, mm -hmm. probably most widely used heart trap uh, in, on the planet, I would mm -hmm. think. Mm -hmm. You know, I would imagine 75% of the people that use heart traps, certainly outside of North America, would be mm -hmm. using Ostbats, mm -hmm. I would imagine. So, uh, no, very nice bit of kit. Um, yeah, good stuff, good stuff. And, and seriously, if you're ever in the UK, we can meet up and I'll... Uh, That'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because it, it really feels like a complex setup that, it's, you know, it has very yeah. many drawings that I don't quite understand. So it, it always helps to see one, I guess, set yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's much, it's, I mean, the, the disadvantage is you're covering much a much smaller area, yeah, with mm -hmm, a heart trap. Mm -hmm, yeah. Uh, and you've got to be... You've got to be even more focused and more selective where you position it mm -hmm, uh, relative mm -hmm. to mist nets. And you've got to be pretty focused with mist nets as well, but even more so with heart traps. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But but the advantage is it's it is much safer for the bats. Mm -hmm, I mean, they mm -hmm. don't and it's much easier mm -hmm. for the bat researcher because you don't have to disentangle the bat from a net, you know. Mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm. 100 times out of 101 times you're just mm -hmm. reaching in and pulling mm -hmm. the bats mm -hmm. out of the bag you know mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. so it is it is more bat friendly mm -hmm. yeah i guess especially in swarming conditions right or yeah. when a lot of bats enter you know one roost at the, at the same time yeah yeah mm -hmm. and yeah and i i mean i i personally don't like using mist nets immediately outside roosts um you know I, mm -hmm. and yeah. i like the targeted approach you talk about mm -hmm. um if you're trying to catch bats at a roost, we always agree before we start, right, how many bats do we need for the job? Mm -hmm. And then once we've got that many bats, then we, we move away. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. we, we don't try and catch every single bat in yeah, the colony. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. But talking about equipment, uh, some interesting yeah. stuff here that <laughs> we're looking at. Uh, is that a parabolic reflector or not? It is, yeah. And um, it is actually, you, you can't see it, but there is this this tiny microphone capsule. It's like a, a brilliant Kia microphone capsule. And it's pointing not away from the parabolic mirror, but towards uh, yeah. the focal point of the parabolic mirror. So somewhere roughly where I've got my arrow at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So okay. this is pointing towards the, the focal point of the parabolic mirror. And we use that because when we were recording, so this was me during my PhD with that 
recording that my PhD advisor, um, so everything I needed that I was surrounded with was what I had to carry like in the forest every day. And it was portable in that I could move it, but I wouldn't say that it was very funny to do so or that it was very yeah. flexible or something like that, right? Yeah. Because it was just a lot of stuff with very heavy batteries and things in protective cases. And I, I looked like, like a Sherpa. <laughs> Yeah. when I was going yeah. into the forest, like in huge backpacks, two of them carrying the parabolic mirror and stuff. So it was, uh, it was compared to what we have now, it was just so bulky and so, so flimsy in a way too. Like if one connection wasn't completely right, it wouldn't work. And then yeah. you had to start over and, you know, yeah. But, it, but so we used that parabolic mirror because we, at first, we were afraid that if we wanted to record individually marked bats in their roost, that we wouldn't be able to focus like directly ah, on one bat and yes. like exclude okay. the vocalizations of others. Okay. So we had a like a dimmed laser pointer version and it was like a little computer game. So we would focus like on with the laser pointer on the particular bat that we wanted to record. Okay. And then everything the bat was producing was coming like on axis and was clear and everything that was produced by neighbors was off axis and was like really blurry. And um, we, we don't do that anymore because it, we found out that it's actually not necessary. Um, but I yeah. guess for, for bats that roost closer together, it would still be the way to go. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. I've always been put off using parabolics for bats uh, because, because at the frequency, well, the frequencies we have for the bats in Northwestern Europe anyway, um, the parabolic dish would have to be, well, it would be, it is very, very focused and trying mm -hmm. to, if a bat was flying up around above your head mm -hmm. in the dark, mm -hmm. you would have yeah. no, yeah. you would have no, no, no chance. chance. No. Yeah. But yeah. describing what you've described there, mm -hmm. using it in that way, that is just sheer genius. I had never, I'd never uh, considered yeah, it was handed to me like that from my PhD advisor. So yeah. um, it was their uh, ingenuity, not mine. But I think it only really works for bats that are basically parked, like on like a yes. vertical surface that you yes. can really yeah. tell apart. We've yeah. just uh, purchased, I, I, I don't have it yet, but I'm so looking forward to it. I've just purchased an acoustic camera. Okay. Um, which I will use in, in addition to my microphones in the future. And that, of course, will um, will eliminate all the on-axis, off-axis thinking when it comes to identifying which animal said what um, in the future, because I will just have this sound bubble <laughs> over the head of the animal. Yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm really looking forward yeah. to that. That sounds interesting. Yeah. I haven't used that kit before. Uh, I've yeah. used parabolics a lot for my bird work, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. but I've never used an acoustic camera. That sounds yeah. really, really fascinating. Yeah, stuff. I think they're really new that they are portable yeah. and also kind of affordable, I guess, and that they can do ultrasound because, okay. yeah. So they don't need, do they need special mic or do they just automatically? They have like, it, it's like this little camcorder thing. It's like that yeah. size. Okay. And um, it it comes with, I think, 72 or 71 microphones arranged in like a little spiral. Okay. And so they, the camera does everything, basically. So I guess I guess the recordings aren't great. So if you want like playback quality recordings, you would have to have a second microphone on your own, I guess. Okay. But it gives you a video with um, like a spectrogram in real time. Yeah. And it gives you a little sound cloud of where the sound is coming from. So yeah. 
so I, I guess it would also be interesting for your is this like a, a harvest mouse because you know if that sound is not coming from from like a tree but it's coming from the ground then yes. um, yeah no it'd be fascinating fascinating stuff uh, i'm going to investigate more into that uh, mm -hmm. you know just for my own personal use yeah so this is more like the setup you're using now. Yeah, um, yeah. very portable, like tiny yeah. tablet computer. I think the heaviest thing now is the tripod. And of course, that's not very heavy either. And then just a, a tiny microphone and it's just no parabolic mirror. No. Yeah, yeah. I can I can fit everything basically in a small backpack. And that's yeah. that's my definition of portable, because then I can actually if the bats decide to relocate within their structure, for instance, I can just like pick up everything and move three meters, right? And yeah. before yeah. that, during my PhD, you know, by the time I would have moved, my battery would have died. So I might have, you know, just aborted the whole thing. Yeah. 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 So um, what, what bat detecting equipment do you use? Do you have, and what software do you use? Do you have preferences with that, just <clears throat> personally? Yeah. Yeah, personally, I do. So I, I use Arbisoft basically okay. for, for everything that, that I do. One, one reason is because that's how I started. And of okay. course, you, you know, you get familiar with the software and stuff. But I also think in, in terms of like for, for what I need, like really very high quality recordings for, for playbacks also and for detailed analysis that go beyond like what species is that, for instance, they are really, um, really, really very good. Yeah, and I take it you use their hardware as well, do you? Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Also, I'm like a, I'm like a technical idiot. So with that old equipment, it's also I had like every cable, I had like it had it labeled, and this goes here, and then this does that because I'm really not very good with that. Okay. Um, and with the old equipment, you you had to understand what you were doing, kind of. With the new yeah. one, you just plug it into an USB port, and and Raymond Spechter, the guy who owns Abisoft, I mean, he's like so amazingly supportive i mean you can call him from the field saying like help <laughs> yeah. need help and he's like yeah i'll fix that for you and and he does so remotely which is just amazing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so i um, I, I haven't used Abisoft much myself mm -hmm. uh, i i i i used it in conjunction with acoustic luring um yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. But I've never used their hardware and I've never used the software for analysis purposes, but mm -hmm. but it seems pretty robust. I mean, it's uh, there's a lot in that software from yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I use other things for other purposes as well, but I think that's the dominant um hard and software that we use. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Well, if you ever do come to the UK, right. Uh, in return for me showing you how to put up a heart trap, you can you can do a demonstration of Avisoft software for me. Yeah, yeah, it'd be lovely <laughs> to have like a like a um, a methods meeting or something where just people bring whatever they are working with. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, have you tried out the little the um, the song meter, the mini version that um, we we got from from uh, wildlife acoustics wildlife acoustics yeah. uh, i haven't tried it yet uh, because it, ar it arrived in the uk about a week before uh, we left for france oh, currently mm -hmm. in france folks mm -hmm. uh, but i i know someone uh, one of our associates have has used them quite a lot um and and likes them i think what you've got to be careful with with that particular model i might be misquoting this um, you've got to kind of make sure it's positioned away from mm -hmm. any flat surfaces. So 
Mm-hmm. It's maybe on a pole or a tripod mm-hmm. or something like that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but uh, but it should work really really well. Um, I know people that are using them and they're very very happy with them. Um, have you used yours yet? Have I you... have just on, on like on on my balcony, and I was I was happy with the results, and uh, I actually uh, gave it away now to um, to family members because they they tend to bring me back like pictures from like their vacations but i want sound recordings right so okay. i was like why don't you put it on top of your camper right okay. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and i mean for that of course that's great because it's foolproof right you can just you yeah. know do all the settings yourself and then you just hand out this little box and um yeah yeah just as long as they remember to take it off of the top of the camper before yeah. they drive off <laughs> good point <laughs> yeah, maybe you should write a text now that you say that <laughs> Uh, yeah. Look, I know you've, I know you've, you know, you must have lots of stories about places <laughs> you've been to and stuff, mm-hmm. but here, here are three pictures here that I think you want to tell us about. If we start off with this mist netting on this, can we call this a bridge? It is um, kind of a bridge. It's, it's a, kind of a bridge, yeah. isn't it? Uh, did you feel quite secure up there or was it? No, uh, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a it's a bridge over a very small estuary, so the fall is like only like two meters deep. But there are crocodiles down there, so you don't want to fall, really. Okay. But I, I really like these pictures because I normally, um, as I said earlier, we normally in the tropics only do this targeted catching at, at roosts, right? Yeah. Um, and there, of course, you have no surprises, right? You yeah. You know, you know what you want to catch, right? And then if you're lucky, you catch it. But it's not that you find new species or, you know, and anything that is like exciting, I guess, in, in, in a different way, just for your own yeah. curiosity. But sometimes, you know, you can tag along with other people who catch for other reasons and you get to set up mist nets in like cool places where you don't know what you get. And yeah. this is, is, is also in Costa Rica. And this bridge, let's call it a bridge, is, is over an estuar, like a, a river that is sort of like... Um, you know, flowing into the ocean. And um, we saw bats crossing under that bridge, big bats, and we wanted to know what that was. And it turned out it was the the, the bigger version of the fish eating bats. And they were roosting okay. yeah. um, apparently uh, in a tree further down in, you know, along the river, but they were hunting um, on the ocean, like in the, in the turf, they were flying really parallel to the waves. I've no idea what they were catching wow. there, but that was amazing, wow. amazing. Okay. And whenever, whenever they were crossing under the bridge, um, we, we would of course not capture them because we, we didn't have hanging nets. We had only nets like on top of the bridge, but you could smell them because, because they were trailing that strong fish odor behind them. So like, oh, missed one. Oh, missed another one. Wow, <laughs> so they're, they're really that... smelly. Yeah. That's, that's mad wow yeah, yeah. yeah. so um yeah and, and the bridge i mean none of us fell in you just you know you had to tread carefully and maybe think twice about your next meal or something it was a really <laughs> <shaky> construction. <laughs> i'm not good with diets but you know if you're threatened with a crocodile you know you're like yeah maybe i don't eat that much in yeah. the future <laughs> Yeah, and, and there's so many species in the tropics that um, I've only captured a few times in my life or I haven't seen at all yet. So okay. capturing somewhere new is always a, a big adventure for me. It's just, you know, you, you don't know what you get and it's just exciting and great. 
mean, any, any time I've been places like this, it's always been on holiday or part mm-hmm. of a guided tour, which isn't mm-hmm. a bat-related thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I find myself, I spend a couple of days getting quite frustrated because I'm recording things from a bat detector, I'm seeing things, and I don't know what it is. Yeah, I hate yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, and, and, then, and then I then just pinch myself and I just say, Neil, you're on holiday, just just enjoy watching what you're watching mm-hmm. and don't uh, but it's very different when you're yeah. uh, I've only ever done overseas work within Europe so I've never mm-hmm. actually done overseas work in the Americas or Africa or Asia mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you're working away from your normal country yeah. I suppose and it is work um, yeah it it's pretty tense because you don't necessarily know the culture, you don't know the mm-hmm. language, you don't know where you're going. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. It's just basic stuff becomes uh, becomes difficult. And in somewhere like Costa Rica, with the temperature and the humidity and the rain and, oh, you know, it's, yeah, it's not going to be easy. Yeah. But it's so cold when you catch bats in Germany. Like, you know, you catch yeah. bats in September and you need like, I'm wearing like thermal underwear because I'm also <laughs> a big sissy when it comes to like low temperatures. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, so I guess there are challenges to every part of field work, right? Yeah. 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 So tell me about these other pictures. This one over on the right, this is, an, I'm assuming it's a church. It's um, a church, yeah. yeah. And um, I, I, this is me and, uh, you know, a known agnostic sitting at the altar, like pointing a microphone up because there are these tiny black dots like right on top of the, yeah, there. Yeah, this is okay. a copteryx. Okay. And uh, right. we were actually collecting fecal samples off the altar cloth, which was also like a first for the geneticist who was with me. Okay. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, we were just recording them there. Uh, it was just, these, these bats are cultural followers. So they, they of course, like large trees and the entrance of caves. Um, okay. But they also really like human buildings and they sometimes roost in very extreme places. So we found them on the inside of like locked cupboards where they okay. could only fly in for like a hole in the top, like in, in a room, on in, in, in a locked cupboard, in a locked room, basically we're like, dude, you're like Houdini <laughs> or uh, something. And yeah. you find them in churches and um, this, um, I, I don't know how well you can see that. So this is actually the, the, the third picture, that's a fridge. Yes. And it has this bat crossing sign on top of that because yes all behind there on the wall and maybe on the left-hand side you see a few dark dots but this is like 50 sarcopteryx they sit all around it's a bar and it's a used bar right so this fridge door goes open and closed and that that door on the left-hand side with a little note on it that that leads to the kitchen yeah so there's people coming and going all the time and these bats just roost there and they're okay with it. And since this, this is an eco resort in Costa Rica, and of course this is pre-COVID, pre-pandemic, yes. um, yeah. people were like, this is awesome. We drink beer here and there are bats flying over our heads. And um, so it's actually a place we found on the internet. We're like, oh, huh, we can Google our bats. Who would have thought that? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go there and see if we can get some sound recordings. <laughs> uh, I'll obviously yeah. they were quite perceptive when you turned up. Or 
they were super nice yeah yeah of course okay. yeah, the, 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 the ones in the church were like you're doing what and was like yeah we're just very surrepti surreptitiously we're like we were looking for nature here and um, yeah just see <laughs> yeah Bats don't have a great reputation, uh, obviously, in in Costa Rica. So we we wouldn't want to point out that they're you know pooping on the altar cloth all the time. So yeah, we're just yeah. sneaking in a few recordings and a few fecal samples. <laughs> but but have you found over ignoring the COVID situation? Um, but have you found since your involvement there over what period of 15, 16 years? Have you found gradually people's opinions generally are getting better or is that not something pre, pre covid yes yeah pre-pandemic i would say yes things have improved considerable just pe because people get more educated and you know there's cool stuff about bats in the news and you know they realize they behave just like other animals in 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 many ways so i think that helped but then during the pandemic we got we get a lot of like calls from worried people who okay. who were basically not not only like i saw a bat and do i have rabies now or something like that or, or COVID. it's more like so we have these bats and they roost in a tree in our garden and how do we get rid of them so that, that yeah. sort of call and of course that that was harder to deal with i guess yeah. Yeah. did you find a i think we'll talk in a moment about something uh, uh like a, a note that was prepared uh, that might have got used in this context, but did you find communicating to people and trying to uh, give them a more balanced or the other side of the, the argument, which, you know, did that um, help or did people it, it, generally just not want to hear that message? I guess it depended really on the people. Um, I think what the pandemic did was making things more extreme in in any way. I think some people were really keen on just being informed and getting information. And those were easy to talk to because you could just say, look, this is the situation. Here is why you're safe. This is what you should do. Um, and that was fine. But other people, I think they were just very frustrated or afraid because of the whole situation. And they just needed, I guess, a scapegoat. And then... Yeah. Um, you know, you had unpleasant conversations, I guess. For instance, I there is a, a German journalist who published a book about the pandemic, or basically not about the pandemic, about pandemics, period. So covering everything from Ebola to cholera to, to something. And he wanted a bad perspective and he interviewed me for the book. So my part in that book is really small and it's, I thought it was like super non-controversial. I only basically said, look, there is of course things that bats can transmit and rabies can be a problem, especially in certain parts of the world. There is a vaccination, you know, you shouldn't be afraid of European bats because, you know, if you don't molest them, you know, even a rabid bat will not come to you and like bite you in the nose and fly off so it, i thought this was like the least controversial thing i could ever say and i got like hate mail i got you know people calling me telling me that you know i was uh you know a disgrace that uh, in in less than friendly terms um and that you know i was downplaying the pandemic only because i love bats and so i think you know and, and these were sometimes people that you know they 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 wrote me emails with their clear name or I could yeah. call them back and they would answer with their, with their real name. Right. Yeah. And I don't think pre pandemic, they would have felt comfortable 
speaking to someone they've never met yeah. like that, yeah. right? I think it's just because people are pushed so towards extremes and yeah. it has brought out the worst in, in some people, I think. Yeah. And and bats are just, I mean, the I don't know about the UK, but in Germany, the, the press coverage um, during the pandemic was really unfortunate for bats very often sometimes not not in all media but sometimes the the titles were like really clickbait okay, you know like okay. very suggestive titles where you're like what and then you read the article and i'm like oh so the title is like phrasing it with a question mark like are you know are bats responsible for this new zoonotic outbreak question mark right and then yes. you need through three pages until you find out the answer is no probably yeah. which is yeah. like yeah but no one does yeah. that right so no, no one. um yeah. or all these pictures of like people in full hazard suits with like you know bats everywhere and just yeah i think it was really really unfortunate yeah I think my, my perspective is, and different bat workers in the UK will have a different perspective, quite possibly, mm -hmm. but I didn't feel, although there was mention of this, and although there was undoubtedly some articles, um, it, it wasn't overly so, and mm -hmm. it was quite balanced, mm -hmm. and... And obviously a lot of people, a lot of my friends, my network, you know, people that aren't into what we are into, but just know me personally. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not conscious that over the last couple of years that I'm getting any more negative vibes than what I might have had in mm -hmm. the past. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. many people mm -hmm. are still talk to me positively mm -hmm. about bats mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. a few people did ask me about my thoughts that, that I know anything about it you know it's a subject that I don't think anybody really fully understands at this moment in time mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. um I, I get asked about it now and again but it's more people just asking out of interest as yeah, opposed that's to great right I yeah mean, that's great yeah. you know uh, but that's maybe that's maybe the mm -hmm. uh, that's maybe just the people uh, I'm around, but... Uh, I don't but, um, know. I, I, I feel yeah. it's also a cultural difference between yeah. um, Great Britain and Germany, because at, at least from like a German perspective, you have much more nature lovers in Great Britain. I mean, yeah. almost yeah. everyone I know from Great Britain is a bird lover, one way right. or another. They may not be active birders, but they love birds and they're really passionate about that. Yeah. And I think from loving birds to at least showing some respect to other flying critters right it's maybe yeah. not such a large step but germans i mean they they like their cars and, and maybe their <laughs> dogs really I mean, sorry to say that but it's really as like on like a population level i mean of yeah. course we're very dedicated people here but yeah on a population level we are not we like love like nature but in a very abstract way we love like having forests that we never go into and we don't want wolves or bears or anything that's dangerous yeah. but we like the concept of having trees around <laughs> that's sort of right yeah. but, but yeah. It, i think the culture of like being into animals is really different in the uk at least from my perspective and that may yeah. help yeah and of course in the uk we've got well the, the obvious organization the bat conservation trust which mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. very uh, quite thankfully and quite likely it's uh, you know it's very uh, proactive mm -hmm, at mm -hmm. you know spreading positive mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. news about bats mm -hmm. and an awful lot of our other conservation organizations like the RSPB and the wildlife trusts 
they're always going on about bats and other things as well. You know, it's uh, which which all helps. It all helps greatly. Um, I'm I'm sure it does. Yeah, yeah. So because you're doing this today, um, we are going to make a charitable donation, if you like, uh, to an organisation of your choice, and this is a organisation in Germany, uh, Deutsche Fledermausfahrt, um, and we're going to be making a donation to this organisation in your name, uh, Marian. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about this organisation? Um, yeah, um, it's, it's it's one that is very dear to me because I've been in, involved in it myself. It's like okay. an, an, an NGO that um, has only been founded a few years ago. And what they are trying to bridge is really central to, to, to what, what I want to do with my science as well. And that is like really fostering like eye level cooperations between scientists and consultants, bat enthusiasts, and because so, so many people have so great and, and intimate and detailed knowledge about certain aspects of bat behavior or specific knowledge about bat populations or something like that. And um, yeah. it would just be really great to put resources together and to put effort together to really, well, foster conservation, but also foster like basic research in terms of just understanding more about bats in general. And that's yes. something that this German bat observatory wants to facilitate. And they also like, they do meetings where, um, you know, scientists and, you know, local consultants, bat enthusiasts, and, you know, people, people working in like um, bat conservation agencies where they can meet and exchange ideas informally. And um, there is a German, um, uh, well, I guess it's a, it's a, it's a journal that publishes research articles in German, but it always has like an English abstract and English okay. figure legends and yes. you know table um, table legends. Yeah. And um, that German Bat Observatory digitized all the old versions. You can download them for free now, and they're really wow. trying to make a lot of that. Yeah, okay. I think all that knowledge accessible. And of course, we also position ourselves when it comes to like topics that are of importance like bat and wind energy or like bats in the pandemic and yes. you know like just reacting with statements to or also what we discussed at length is how should we work with bats now what extra precautionary measures do we have to take and which of them can maybe be abandoned later on or which of them actually makes sense and we should just stick to them no matter what yes. the current pandemic status is so that's yes. that's just something we discussed there and what i really enjoy is that it's not a purely scientific level it's I think it's a really balanced view because so many people from very different aspects of bat work come in and no opinion is more important than the others so it, yeah. it's a really cool place I think okay well we're we're chuffed to uh, be making a small donation uh, yeah. to them on your behalf yeah, um, and, and maybe check out the website especially this online library link uh, yes, that uh, I see here that that yes. should have the 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 Nüchterlos, which is like the, the German bat research of the last century, I guess. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fairly old journal. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is taking us almost to the end. Um, yeah. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that I haven't touched upon? Or you know, I always worry that I maybe miss something obvious when I do these things. Um, no, not really. I mean, of course, I have a ton of questions about you. So I think we, we, we need to informally meet again. 
Yes. <laughs> so you can ask all my questions. <laughs> and you and you promise to tell me at some point when there will be or if there will ever be a new um, bad social call conference. Because uh, yeah. if I know, I will make all the arrangements that this time I can actually be there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can't I can't say for sure if there will or if there won't. I know for a fact that if there is, it's not going to be this year. Um <laughs> we're we're launching the new the second edition of mm -hmm. the book. Uh, yeah. that's available uh, from July. Uh, but we know that it's not possible for us to do a conference this year because that's of other things. Mm -hmm. But uh, I can I can assure you of one thing, absolutely, uh, you will be invited to uh, participate, present, speak, whatever you want to do at that at that conference, if and when. Uh, I'll surreptitiously bring my harp traps. Like, look, I've yes. got something unassembled. <laughs> <laughs> what a coincidence! <laughs> yeah, I like I like to see you get that one to EasyJet or Ryanair. Yeah. Or... <laughs> Well, we, we we managed to to brand a few things as fishing equipment, which is crazy, okay, right? Because they can all the yeah. sport fishers they can take their their crazy equipment for free. So yeah. um, I have you know um, argued before that we are basically you know catching bats in a way that other people would catch fish. So yeah. may, maybe it would work. Yeah, from, not my, with EasyJet my... probably. Yeah, <laughs> from an airline's perspective. Yeah. It's no different. It's it's not like you're transporting guns or explosives no. or no. <laughs> chemicals. You know, it's uh, military yeah. grade spying equipment. Yes, but no mm, guns. Okay. <laughs> 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 let, let, let's not talk about that. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm going to bring things to a close. Uh, Marianne, we'll we'll talk after I end but mm -hmm. uh, but in order to close things off uh, from the interview point of view uh, everyone that was Marianne um, to find out more about her you've got the website uh, she's also on Twitter Instagram I have been chuffed to bits and honoured uh, to have today's guest and I've learned I've learned a whole lot of stuff I didn't know before so Hopefully you have been enthused, inspired, educated, even entertained now and again by uh, what we've uh, been talking about. So thank you for that. And just one last thing to say, uh, Marianne, if you could just say goodbye to our audience and I'll close the recording down. Yeah, well... Thank you all for listening in. I feel deeply honored to have been invited. I had a blast talking with Neil. I hope you enjoyed that as well. And um, if you have any questions or you want to get in touch with me, please reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. And uh, hopefully I see some of you at some bat catching event or some conference or somewhere in the future. Thank you guys. Bye. hope you enjoyed this Talking Bat interview, which is an edited, audio-only version of the original video session. The full version, including video, is available via Betability Club, our online training platform. To find out more about Club, go to betability.co.uk. Till next time, thank you. Mm -hmm.